0: to the 92nd episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast, with today's guests who are working diligently to connect the male diabetes community, the men of bolus maximus. If you're new to the show, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I'm the co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. And these two guys are the perfect guests. Earlier this year, a past podcast guest introduced me to two men who absolutely share my passion and mission to help people with diabetes. I was thrilled to learn about their efforts to bring men living with diabetes together. We know men don't communicate, so this was like a big deal. <laughs> like many of us in the diabetes world, we're looking for our diabetes. Their weekly virtual meeting, Bolus Maximus, fills a much-needed void in the male diabetes community. Good on you guys for encouraging men to open up. Before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, hosting the Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour every Thursday puts pep in my step and is a great way to lead into the weekend with positive thoughts and energy. The gathering has nothing to do with alcohol, but it is for adults. I hope you will join me for entertaining pub talk, live music, random themes, and trivia sessions with people who get it from around the world. Please note you must register by clicking on the happy hour logo at diabetesdailygrind.com or by joining the private, real life diabetes happy hour Facebook group. Number two, I'm in the process of launching a new podcast series, Just the Facts, Please, featuring medical professionals and industry leaders. We all know we don't get enough time in our endos office, so hopefully this series will help fill the gap. Hit us up if you're interested in learning more. Number three, Shout out to the kind souls who invested in me in the Diabetes Daily Grind early on. Thank you, Dr. Matt and Jennifer Brooks from Innovative Eye Care, the folks over at Real Good Foods, and the research team at Pracento. If you're interested in supporting the DDG mission to provide resources and support for all people living with this disease and their loved ones, please contact Penelope, DDG Marketing Associate, at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. And finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter. Do me a favor and leave an iTunes review. Subscribe to the DDG YouTube channel and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, let's get started.
1: We're super excited, Amber. Thank you so much for having us.
0: I'm excited too, and I want to start with it's been months yeah, yeah originally connected, and I can't remember like initially how we all I'm, I'm sure I reached out to you guys
1: Craig Lefer yeah yeah, Craig started at tandem on my team and put you and I in contact, right. and that was like we were in the infant stages of our calls, I think we had just really gotten up and running and now we're way past that (laughs) so so we've done a lot of things for ourselves, but mostly for this organization that we're trying to build it's been awesome so you were instrumental in in helping us just hearing us just having
2: those conversations with us you kick-started something that was going and realized that you know we needed to kind of pick it up like we needed to pick it up, you know, so we appreciate you for that and um, your team as well.
0: You're welcome. I'm good at bossing people around. So <laughs> giving me the we take
1: we, we take direction really well too, but uh, this has been, this has been great. So um, thank you. For, yeah, you're
0: um, welcome. Well, I want to start with, okay, so I usually start the podcast with, um, give your full name and maybe a brief little thing about your diagnosis day Because I know both of you were diagnosed later in life, right?
2: Yes, that is correct. Let's hear what you got, Brandon. I'm from Ypsilanti, Michigan, and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I had just turned 17. I was going to my senior year of high school. You know, dealing with diabetes at any age is no perfect timing. Uh, So it was a lot on my plate at that time uh, trying to figure out, you know, as far as going to college uh, and how I was going to take care of myself. Uh, but fast forward, 17 years later, I'm currently in San Diego.
0: Recently, right? You've only been there for a couple months.
2: Yes, like literally two months. So uh, on, the, on embarking new travels and adventures, uh, trying to continue to see how we can bring and bridge the gap in the diabetes community.
0: I love it. And we're going to get into some things. I'll get into all that here in a little bit. And There's a lot of stuff that Brandon's been into, which I'm really excited for, and I appreciate you being so active. So Matt, let's hear a little bit about your diagnosis story.
1: Yeah, sure. So I was a junior in high school at 16, so similar age to Brandon. That was a, just, you know, as an adolescent male, you're going through a lot, and that whole, um, also here, carry this with you for the rest of your life, please. Uh, That was something that was, uh, you know, not easy to swallow. So my parents, thankfully, were helping me cope with that as the doctor and the nurse set me up very nicely uh, in the household at home to always have a concerned parent. Oh, so you and, your
0: parents are a doctor and a nurse? Yes. So you had yeah. no chance of ever jacking anything up. They knew what was
1: going down. It, n- not necessarily messing it up. I Trust me, I did a heck of a job. Knock, knocking myself around but there were a lot of times where just at the bare minimum they were able to identify things that I was either trying to hide or that I couldn't tell were so obvious right. um, yeah so uh, but yeah and, and, and yeah, now I'm in San Diego living here with uh, a job at Tandem and you know 17 years later about half my life before I turned 34 here uh, it's been it's been interesting
0: 30s are fun. 30s and diabetes are fun. Trust me, if I can live through all of those decades, you are going to have a great time because I think you really get to know your body, hopefully, whatever. How did the two of you meet?
2: I took a position with uh, JDRF back in 2018, uh, January 2018. And that's kind of when I really started to realize finding my passion and my purpose. And throughout working for the JDRF New England chapter, I was, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, kind of currently what's going on, how do we bridge this gap? You know, no no shame in my game. I'm not white and I, don't, I get along with any and everybody. But I realized after being a volunteer for 12 years, I wanted to do more. And I figured if I took a job with a major organization, then I can continue to help try to bridge that gap. While trying to do that as an outreach manager, Matt had reached out to me. I had known him from the diabetes community just online, but he had reached out to me and was like, dude, I want to try to work with you. And that's kind of like really how it started. I know it sounds crazy. Like back in the day, they said don't meet anybody or talk to anybody over the internet. We did. Uh, but <laughs> we made it happen. You know, I mean, it's 2020. Um, obviously, <laughs> I want you to be safe. But, you know, the I think from then on, from the first conversation, it was, it was pretty clear of there was a huge void, um, you know, far as, in the diabetes space on, you know, bringing everybody together in the community, but also in in a male perspective. We were diagnosed around the same time. Um, I didn't have anybody to talk to about my diabetes. I didn't have anybody to help me with it. And, you know, hearing Matt's story is really touching because at the end of the day, um, we come from completely two different backgrounds, but we want the same thing. And that's to live the best life that we can with diabetes. You know, so we, we ended up, Talking several times, uh, he was embarking on some journeys on himself, finding himself, and you know through that we were able to connect, and now now you have this right here, what we're forming.
0: Okay, let me ask you because okay, there's two questions here. One, from, because you're both diagnosed 16, 17. Do you feel like knowing what diabetes is like, hardcore? Do you think it would have been easier to be diagnosed at an earlier age? Or was seventeen like you? You were mature enough to get what was going on.
1: I feel like I've answered that question with people or having conversations where I've said something along the lines like, "Well, if I was diagnosed at your age, I would." But I've never really truly thought about it right. because I would say I'm happy. Huh, I'm happy being diagnosed. I was happy with my age at diagnosis because i had learned a significant amount having older siblings coming Mm -hmm. from i was the second youngest of eight children so i had almost like a lifetime what felt like a lifetime of experiences between the age of like 10 and 18 that were totally separate from everybody else's adolescence right i had all of those older influences so for me it was perfect i don't know
2: i feel like it's a tough question. It's uh I was I was thinking about that. That's a really, really good question. Uh, and I was actually thinking about this the other day. I, I thought maybe we were talking about it, but <laughs> I know we talked about a lot of stuff. So uh but no, I, I was I was thinking like, you know, I never really sat down and took the time to think of how difficult it is. I think it's it's difficult to get diagnosed at any age. Late on said. Being a teenager, being an adult, just getting into your profession, or even being elderly and getting diagnosed, you know, it makes a big difference. I mean, I think at every different stage, it kind of depends on where you're at in your life. I think if you have a tight, you know, a tight grip on life or a tight grip or, you know, firm on whatever it is that you're that you're shooting for, you're not going to let anything throw you off that path. And I was so, I felt like I was so disciplined and dedicated when it happened, like to me going to college and wanting to graduate and play football in college. Like I was so disciplined, I wasn't gonna let anything throw me off. So, I think it really depends on where you're at. But I also want to say, I didn't understand how extremely difficult it was to be diagnosed at the age of 17. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lot of changes being that's happening, you know, sophomore, junior in high school. It, that's a huge that like I don't care what anybody says, like, you're getting ready to go to college if mm-hmm. you have dreams and aspirations on going to college. So, I think at any age, it's very, very difficult. But also, I think it depends on the maturity and where you're at in your life and how you accept it. If you accept it and say, look, this is me, I'm going to take it and I'm going to do the best I can, then I think you're off to a great start. I think some people that don't want to deal with it right away, you know, they put it on a back burner and then they come to the realization, like, I have to take care of this because this is important. This is my life. Thinking about it right now,
1: there's no way I would be who I am probably wouldn't have been the same person. A lot of my confidence came from up until I was 16. So by the time I was 16, I already had a significant amount of confidence as somebody who was about to become a man and turn 18. I went to college feeling like I had already been to college. And so, which is weird. And that's, I obviously hadn't. I was hazed in a fraternity, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) but, um, that was like, yeah, what's up? That, That was... I had to really think about what I was like at 12, 13, 14. Like I wouldn't have been very good.
0: And the only I think the reason I asked that question is because I think about, you know, when my friends were like, I can't believe you, you know, didn't have cake or for your birthday or, you know, those were choices that me and my family made as a kid. Well, I look at it as I really didn't know anything different. I mean, I remember when I was diagnosed, I was like, no more Snickers, you know, no more Dr. Pepper, but that was the extent of it. And so I, I guess as a Capricorn, I always followed the rules and did what was asked me. So, I, whatever. So, I just am always curious because you would have known life before that and all the joys of all the things of a teenager. One or two sentences each. Tell me about your college years because I'm happy to be alive.
1: I was guided to the university I attended and the fraternity that I did because. My big brother in that fraternity was a type one diabetic. Ah. So I went there because that fraternity would accept me. I knew that community would, would accept me. And I was really like him and it made it easy. So shout out Dan McNamara and Alpha Sigma Alpha Sigma Psi. But there were <laughs> three diabetics in that fraternity. So yeah, that was, that's, that was,
0: that's, that's, yeah. that's nice to hear. Um, what about you, Brandon?
2: I'll, I'll try to do it in a couple sentences because it's multiple different things that uh, um, kind of got me through and guided me. Uh, one, I, I would say definitely just, just having a discipline, under, understanding or trying to understand diabetes. I don't think we always, we, I don't think we'll ever fully understand it. Mm-hmm. But I had an individual that reached out to me my sophomore year uh, by the name of Nate Bob, a 13-year-old kid that was a diehard supporter of Michigan State football. And I think that me reading the letter that he wrote me, it really opened me up and made me realize like, okay, I'm not the only one, you know what I mean? So it was like, I know I'm doing this for myself, but I'm doing this for other people and other people are doing it with me as well. But I would definitely say college was fun, interesting, and a lot of learning and a lot of teaching. <laughs> oh
0: yeah?
2: <laughs> just, just all those things, huh? <laughs> oh.
0: Okay, do either one of you have a family history of type 1 diabetes?
2: My mother has type 2, but that, that's it. No, nobody that I know from like my immediate family has type 1.
0: Do either one of you have a conspiracy theory as to why you got diabetes?
1: I'm a- so glad you asked that. Well, there's been a lot of people who have discussed and talked about how diabetes in young adults has often coincided with maybe another major surgery or ailment or sickness or something. A month before I was diagnosed, so on Halloween, I had a hernia operation at 16. Hmm. And a month later on Thanksgiving, I was an outpatient being diagnosed with type one diabetes.
0: Happy holidays to you.
1: (laughs) So I am not exactly, God bless my mother. She made me sugar-free sweet potatoes with marshmallows. God. Oh my God. But yeah. That The best. Yeah, for <laughs> real. That was something that made me really think about, wow, that was kind of, that was weird. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but Brandon.
2: So I'm glad you brought up the surgeries. So I had, when I was first diagnosed... Obviously, I don't think anybody knows a extremely lot about the disease. Probably, I'd say, about three years in, into living with it, somebody asked me, I was at a picnic and they asked me, Is like, oh, you're a diabetic? Are you a diabetic? I said, Yeah. And they said that their son, their son was. And they said uh, that their son had got like extremely sick. And I think he ended up having a surgery and he ended up like being diagnosed shortly after that. The crazy thing is, I had a knee surgery, like, right before I was diagnosed. Like, literally, I would say maybe a week and a half. And I was just like, okay, well, maybe it is. I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory of being cut open, but... Brandon and I have some crop circle
1: (laughs) stuff right now. We're like, we are so... Let's get into it. But I think it's interesting because I, I don't know if you... How do you feel about that?
0: That's well, I and my parents and I have talked about it a lot it, since I've started the diabetes daily grind and stuff. Because I was really sick as a kid. Um, I had pneumonia like two or three times. I had ear infections. I mean, I think I felt like at one point in my life, I lived in a little bubble, like literally a bubble, because I was always sick, and so yeah. I was constantly on antibiotics. So in my mind, I really feel like, and every, you know, everybody, my caregivers did the best that they could. Period. So there's no guilt there, but I think that it robbed my gut biome and allowed my body to attack itself.
1: Just autoimmune. In yeah,
0: general. and you know, and I didn't. I have no family history of type one, so interesting. Yeah. Either. Yeah. I'll be curious, and I think that the scientific community and all the reading that I do—and don't quote me—I guess I'm kind of quoting myself—is <laughs> <laughs> that um, they're realizing that it's not just a you know, something that's passed down from generation to generation. And there's, there's some crazy things. I'm happy to see that they are actually publishing those things because that's hard. That's a hard thing to prove. I believe, you know, because you have to have so much data. I mean,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. Anywho. So I'm going to move on because I'm trying to make this episode less than two hours. So why (laughs) fell in love with these guys is because they created, and I totally agree with this. And the fact that I've had so many male guests, is is and got them to open up, which is I think is great because we need to be talking about these things. You guys created a group called Willis Maximus, which is a, a support group for men with diabetes.
2: Make us sound so weak. So, you know, I'm, just, I'm just messing around.
1: We that is what we've been doing. We've been hosting weekly calls, Zoom calls throughout the COVID lockdown and pandemic, where we were able to connect, uniquely connect with men in their own homes pretty much on our own, all of our own terms, because yeah. we weren't doing anything else. And so in a way, it's geared towards men. But it is open to everybody. We have had women join the last five weeks.
0: Oh, that's great! So,
1: and it is. And now that's what we want to see more of. Because not everybody, and, and I think this is actually something that Brandon and I had talked about. I was very much like my mother, I always felt better. I felt like I was, it was easier for me to have a communication with a woman than it was to have really close and open communication with a woman that was a man. Mm. And I wasn't really very affectionate, like close to my father. Um, so personally, I felt like I needed to diagnose 16. That's a pat on the back before you go to college Yeah, with, with an extra, like I said, a, a little extra baggage. And you got to talk about that stuff. And like, I even had the guys in the fraternity that were diabetic. There were multiple of them, and they were there to support me. But there was never anything throughout the last, you know, 17 years where someone was like, hey, you, you're a guy. Just come over yeah, here. Yeah, right. Just want to talk about anything. About We've talked about cars, sports. Everything. We've had CDEs come in and talk. Uh, we've Psychiatrists come in. Yeah, we've had uh, – Talk so, about mental health. And that, that was like multiple weeks. We talked about – a lot about you know, where, we, where we grew up, where we were from, and a lot of emotions. It's been awesome.
0: Here's a question. It shouldn't be too personal. I'm not asking you for your actual experience that you guys catch on erectile dysfunction.
2: We have not yet, but this week we could possibly, depending on when you hear this podcast, we could possibly, that could be a, a topic of discussion. We
1: want to have educated, I think. Brandon and I agreed very early on that it, we're not medical licensed professionals. We are very well aware <laughs> Me that either. we're not offering. Yeah, yeah, all you know, we are communal here. But we want to find people that are. And we mm-hmm. like to, to branch out and we've very slowly started taking steps in different directions where we've communicated with certified diabetes care and education specialists. We've started talking to psychologists. We've started talking with health coaches and lifestyle coaches, and we want to bring all of that in. And as uh, Anna Bersh uniquely said on our last podcast with her that comes out on Friday, this big hug from the community, right? Yeah. Like this huge communal, like this team hug. And, and the reason that- I
0: bring that up is because I ran a wellness center, and so we would... Mm. Do seminars and everything. It was wellness center for people over the age of 50. So the median age was 68. Well, we're dealing with all kinds of things here. But there was a lot so of... That was a hot like, topic. <laughs> it was a hot topic. But Sorry. Sorry. Nobody would sign up for it. Or there'd be like 32 people that signed up and 142 would show up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So because like, no one wanted to show No one wanted to put their name down.
0: Right. We all know, unfortunately, with diabetes, our bodies do not work the same. So I'm like, let's have the conversation so everybody can have a great sex life. And Definitely. Come on. Come on. Definitely. So,
1: it's something we, so we want to have that conversation. We want to open it up. I was getting there, but I kind of lost the idea that that whole conversation
0: was
2: about <laughs> ED. But we're going to have somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. sex I
0: can help maybe connect you with somebody.
2: So, yeah. yeah. You, Luke as we say, drop, drop
1: it in the comments, drop it in the comments. We're, we want to, we want to connect with those individuals.
0: I want to break you up a little bit in that Brandon, you just were participated in and I sat in on some of the um, sessions for people of color living with diabetes. It was a summit. It was incredible.
2: Sure. It was, it was amazing. There were a lot of great speakers and a lot of people that participated uh, and I think Quisha Mimba is going to, uh, she's going to, she's trailblazing in a space that not a lot of people have been in, not to take anything away from anybody else. Uh, but this is something that was, that was greatly needed for the community, in the community.
0: Absolutely. And I have to say in just what I you know, participated in or watched, I am just blown away. I think I was completely oblivious, and I will say that. Um, I didn't realize some of the um, lack of good health care for people of color and the discrepancies there. I will say that PBS put out a special, I'm sure you both have watched it for sure. Really upset, but I think they did touch on real things. Um, yeah, but ha- I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> but uh,
2: you can, you can, this is your podcast, you can definitely go there.
0: Just try not to piss people off. Try not to piss people off. It can be difficult, but
2: I, the truth. The, tr- the, the, the truth. That, that's what we. That's what we like to speak. We like to speak the truth.
0: You know. Do you feel like your community was well represented in that documentary?
2: I'm gonna say we're all in the community, so it depends. You know, uh, I guess what demographic you come from, whether you come. From the slums or the hood or the ghetto or the middle class the suburbs or you know i watched maybe 10 minutes of it you should
0: watch the whole thing and you'll realize yeah. that i'm pissed off about
2: it and i i kind of stopped i kind of stopped watching it um for my own reasons but i i think at the end of the day it's it's a great documentary and and stuff to be out, out there but we have to figure out what are we doing to change the narrative of the things that are happening and that we saw. And what I saw, it it goes on in multiple different households. So it's like, if this has been going on for this long, this has been a problem for a very long time and nobody has come to give a solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I'm not going to say that I'm from the ghetto or I'm from the hood, but I've, I've lived there before. And unfortunately, we're... I'm not gonna just say black because it's not black. I think anybody can come from a rural area. I think it just comes down to we don't have the proper or adequate education and it's not taken seriously from a healthcare standpoint and sometimes even the person that's dealing with it, but you don't know what you don't know. Mm. So, you know, and I think that's what makes things a lot like pretty like really, really difficult.
0: I think that one of the things well, I interviewed Tracy D Brown, the CEO of the American Diabetes Association, I mean, I think it was before COVID. And one of the things that we really touched on was that in certain parts, and I know this because I've been, in, I, for a number of reasons, but um, food deserts, you know, the lack of good food. And so it just makes me think about if nothing else, how can, and affordable good food.
2: Yeah, she's, uh, she's the CEO of the ADA. She's awesome you know, she's a trailblazer uh, in her space as being a female and being a CEO mm-hmm. and being a type two CEO uh, of the ADA, which is extremely awesome. But you do you do bring up a valid point. Uh, I used to work in the city of Detroit and I had a couple diabetics in my school. And, you know, I don't know a lot of people that work in the schools. Um, my hat goes off to you, whether you're a teacher, supportive, administrative staff, coach, whatever you are. But the city of Detroit is, a, is an interesting beast in itself. I think we, they have some of the toughest people and they've been through a lot of different things. And I'm not just speaking of the city of Detroit. I think anybody in those circumstances or situations, they have to go through things that people have no clue. I'm gonna say in their bubble and in the outside world is what they hear. And I'll say, if you go from corner to corner, you see liquor store, you see liquor store, you see party store. So I think we all, all in all, we know what the solution is. We have to give better alternatives, but we have to make it to where we're actually really trying to do that or not trying to where we're actually doing that to where we're putting fresh produce and markets on, on each and every corner. You know, why don't these people have the same access as if you go into Wellesley Hills, Massachusetts and the whole foods on the corners, you know what I mean? Why, why is that? Why are those options not there? You know, those are the questions that need to be answered.
0: I Maybe. think it's also, too, it doesn't have to be like a Whole Foods. It can be something that just has fresh produce. It doesn't have to be. And that's and it's horrible to say, but it's just like everyone should have access. No, that's going to sound ridiculous. But, but, I, just-
2: but I mean, I say Whole Foods because how many neighborhoods have you been in? Or what did they look like when you passed through them or ghettos or hoods? that you've been through to where you saw Whole Foods?
0: Well, here's the thing, in Oklahoma City, in the area where I just left two miles, you know, in one direction from my home, is a straight up food desert. And I'm thankful for the one grocery store in particular that's coming into that. I mean, so Oklahoma City's, and I'm no longer there, but I'm singing the praise that they're putting in a grocery store in an absolute food desert to people that can walk or take the bus You know, it just, if we could go down that, I mean, I think we're all on the same page that we need to start addressing diabetes in a a different way and making sure that people have the resources that they need. And that's not just the medications and things like that. They need to know that they can, A, they can afford the food. B, they know how to prepare it. And C, they understand that this is fuel.
1: I just want to say though, I don't like you, I know you were asking Brandon there, but that specific topic is also why Brandon and I connected and why Brandon and I are doing what we're doing. So it's much larger than just a guy's support group. Um, Brandon, uh, for him and I, I recognized something in the group that I was in that I needed to reach out to him, Yeah, right? The position that I was in. Uh, All I could think about was those areas that are underserved are just poured on with, It's fast foods and all of the stuff. And it's, I had to go learn about some of that. I didn't grow up in an area where it, there was, it was was Rhode Island. It's a tiny state. So there wasn't as much influence there as there was in Detroit and some other areas. So for me, when I came out to California and I started to explore around the Pacific Northwest and out here in the West Coast, I learned how quickly, I mean, poor, It doesn't matter what race you are, if you you don't have money, your options are very limited. You eat what you can get your hands on, and it is oftentimes horrible, and it's consistently bad and cheap. Yeah. And that's, it's not good. Mm -hmm. And we need to raise awareness to people that know how they can supply things for themselves or how we can help get things to them so that they know that people, you know, what what do we need to do um, to, to educate people? So. That's part of this that, that we're on.
0: You guys might look up a, a past guest. Um, her name is Maria Rose Belding, B-E-L-D-I-N-G. I think it's episode 65. Don't quote me on that either. I said that so many times tonight. She created the MEANS, M-E-A-N-S, database, which she's connecting. It's insane. I can't even go into it because it would take a whole other podcast. But she describes, and she has type 1, She was given the CNN Heroes Award, and she's incredible, a trailblazer, my God. So look that up, because I feel like if the diabetes community and all the circles that we're working in, if we could connect people, because it's about distributing food to people in need for free, um, donated by restaurants and people that would normally do buffets, and they're going above and beyond, especially in this pandemic situation. Um, So look her up, and I hope that you will uh, reach out to her and see how you can get involved because she's worth it. She's incredible. We love,
2: we love trailblazers. We love that.
0: Okay. So Matt, I want to touch on you really quick. So you just in this horrible time opened a gallery (laughs) or were you in the process prior (laughs) to getting the band?
1: (laughs) I successfully opened and closed a gallery during COVID 2020 i um, sorry to hear that. Nope, nope. As, uh, as I've learned through some weekly meetings I'm having, I need to look at things a little more positive. And so what I was doing was really putting myself down mentally, thinking that I had literally rented a gallery space during the worst possible time ever, ever in my entire life for me to rent gallery space to try to bring people together and people are in their own GD houses and they can't leave. And it's, and it's not just because I want to bring people together. I realized how, how bad things were very quickly. Like I'm not the type of person who overlooks like facts. I want to, you know, I see things I'm like, Oh my God. So I was conflicted. The goal for me as an artist was to create larger pieces of work than I had ever created. Sure. And I successfully had done that and sold some of them. And that for me is a major success. So I have done now five actual shows where more than 20 people have showed up. And uh, the last couple were close to, you know, probably close to like 100 people each show. And um, yeah, it was a really, really, really good experience. But
0: yeah, so I ran a gallery yeah. for 10 years, um, a nonprofit gallery that I started and I get it. And uh, we closed the doors, gosh, four years ago, two years. I knew it was, it was August 15th and it broke my heart. Like literally broke my heart.
1: I, i my birthday's at the end of the month and I was kind of hoping, I don't mind saying this cause I don't think Irene is going to hear it, but um, I was kind of, I was like, Oh, I, I want to, you know, have a little, Get together at the end of the month, have some friends, maybe just come have a couple of drinks for that. But somebody wanted to rent a space and they wanted me to move out early. From the time that I had my last show to right now, I completely broke down my entire gallery and put everything in storage in two
2: days. It's a lot of stuff. I created
1: I created 17 pieces of work and four of them were 64 by 42. So all of that, you know, three of those, I sold one, what's up? All of those other pieces are in that storage space now. So You
0: should pull those out and use them as your backdrop.
1: That would be very nice. I could definitely do that. I could totally do that. It's a good that. idea. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. For
0: I'm really creative. I'm really creative. And hey, you have, Matt, you have a diabetes alert dog, right?
1: He's currently scratching his ears. Yes, can you pull I him I up
0: into this so we can see him?
1: Yeah, Forrest, come here. Come here. Aww.
0: And so I'm not um, a different person. I don't know. What type of dog is he?
1: So Forrest is going to turn five years old in November. He is a wine mariner, and he is a dog that would typically be used for hunting, yeah. tracking. They were born and bred in the Weimar Republic in Germany to hunt wild boar in large game. Forrest, thankfully, hunts blood sugars. And he is far smaller than the normal size for this breed. I'm so lucky, so lucky that I asked to work with a Weimaraner and they gave me a 60 pound dog. Most of them are 100 pounds plus.
0: I've been around one diabetes alert dog in like my personal space and the mom had the dog and the young lady who the alert dog was meant, you know, trained to be with was not there. So we're sitting in my butcher was high. like, let's say two twenty-seven or something. And that dog just looked at me, put his paw on my leg and just gave me a hard time. And I was like, listen, and the mom was like, stop. You know, you got to stop. This is not, this is, but I was like, I've given insulin. Like I couldn't communicate with this dog enough. I'm like, I promise, it's coming
1: down. So that's. It's actually a really good point that you bring up. I'm good. I swear. I did what I was supposed to. Keep dogs, dogs giving you the side eye. Like, listen, I can still smell that thing. It's like and I can't
0: he, go to sleep with that with your blood sugar this high or this low. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So and he can he can smell Brandon. So yeah. while Brandon is is it's interesting, he knows. Like he knows if it's me or if it's Matt. But, but it's interesting, like, looking at the CGM and, like, getting that real time. Yeah. Is, it's, like, unreal. And it's, like, like he, won't, he won't stop until he makes sure you know that he knows that you're good. Yeah. Which is, which is cool.
1: <laughs> but yeah, and that continuation of effort from the animal is not necessarily tr- – it's trained because they're trained to, to take that action. But they don't – it's, like, they don't know how to stop. And so, what you do as a trainer and in a handler, uh, you give them something to take their mind off. That's why I give them chew toys. I bring toys with me when I go. Like I'll go to a formal event. I've gone to formal events, worn a very nice suit, and had a dog bone sticking out of my back pocket, and a dog hole in the back of my pants, and water like running down my ass. So I, I know, that I would go way out of my way to make sure that our team is consistent. I would take up a whole podcast talking about what happened during COVID.
0: Yeah. We're (laughs) going to have it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We haven't, we, you know, we haven't operated the same, so it's been really different and really difficult because now our training, he's like couch all day. I work from home. I sit right. I'm like, so he's been consistently accurate and good, but boy, is he getting lazy? (laughs) So (laughs) he's like, eh, whatever. But we walk to the beach. So,
0: anything COVID-wise? I mean, I know that. I mean, like I've hardcore quarantined, and that's one of the reasons I created the Real Life Diabetes Happy Hour is to bring people together because I miss sitting across from my friends. I attended women's support group, Grace and Growth, on Wednesdays, so that I feel so much better and so energized after that. So, anything COVID-related? I'm going to say good or bad that I mean we're all going to remember these days, and I kind of want to document like what is this
2: situation done to you? I think one thing it's done to me is made me realize not to take things for granted. I think we all do to a certain extent, you know, but I think Mm -hmm. also with this swinging like this with COVID, I think it's opened my eyes and realized like, living with diabetes is, man, it's a huge, heavy lift. Um, You know, Matt just brought it up about his dog, about being in the house all the time, you know what I mean? And things shifting. It's just not normal. I think some people like to, you know, stay in there, but I think people that like to express themselves and open and like to, you know, whether it's walk or exercise or just go outside and people watch or, you know, go down by the water brunch. Like, you know, I
0: mean brunch brunch,
2: brunch, brunch Sunday <laughs> Sunday brunches Saturday brunches. You know, like like we're not operating in the same times and. When, when we figure out that it is safe, is it still safe? You know, is it still going to be in your mind? Like, oh, like, I, you know, I have to do this or do that, you know? So I think it just, it just really made me open my eyes, like, to continue not to take things for granted because, you know, we lost a lot of people with this thing, you know, unfortunately. But, you know, I think we just have to be safe moving forward. And at the end of the day, like, do the things that you want to do, no matter what, even during the pandemic and things that are going on but tap into your inner self too. try something different, try something new, you know, because you never know it could be something that you did when you're growing up, or it could be something that you've been thinking about in the last six months. Just do it, you know, just jump out there and do it.
0: I think one of the things, and I'll say something to that because one of the reasons why I sold everything and donated everything and I loved my house, I had a great setup, but it was because we're never promised tomorrow. And this has really reminded me that. I was like, you know, I need to pack bags and just try something new. And if I don't like
2: it, I can try something else. Yeah, because I'll be honest, we were supposed to do this a little while ago and then we scheduled it and he was like, I'm moving. And I was like, oh, we never know about that. <laughs> Not that you <laughs> have to tell us, but was like, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to move. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so, oh, that was the first time she said that. We talked to her the last couple of weeks. We're so like, oh, all right. But for, I mean, that,
1: having that mentality, that spontaneity is something that I learned living out here on the West coast that I never was able to harness like you live a spontaneous life in New York city, but you're a hamster in a wheel and yeah. that is not any way to live a life. Sorry to anybody who break my knuckles cracking there. And
2: that disgusts you.
1: Um, my whole, my whole thought about what's happened during COVID though is a, it put Brandon and I in a position to excel what we had been working on and started a couple of years ago to a place where we felt comfortable saying, hey guys, guess what we're gonna do, okay? And this is how we're gonna do it. And it was a catalyst for us to start bolus maximus, but then it also, statistically, I had to think about the fact that I'm the second youngest of eight children, four of my siblings had COVID. Mm -hmm. And so three of my siblings had COVID, one may have had. I went to Denver, Colorado the first week of March, I flew in out of Denver international. I had a face mask with me and I was like, should I be wearing this? Like, is that a joke? I'm like jokingly. And I joked, I, I had it with me. Had I known then what I knew now, know now I'd be slapping people in public. I would, Run, put your face mask on. Like, but it's just, it's, it's just terrible to see how things get handled when, I mean, my whole life has been surrounded by science after being di- diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah. I trust science pretty heavily. And um, maybe not big pharma. But I know... We're going there. not going there. For fact, not going there. <laughs> but for a fact, trusted individuals need to be listened to. And that's something that I've learned.
0: I think one of the hardest things for me in this situation is I've had quite a few friends from Oklahoma visit me in San Antonio because I'm like literally living in a breakfast that they won't, I mean, they're not taking reservations at this time because it's just too scary. And San Antonio is a hot, you know, hot spot. But the fact that my friends are so nervous about giving me COVID that, you know, it's one of those reminders. And I've only said this a couple of times that I realized I was different. But I appreciate and applaud my friends taking that so seriously. They were like, "I would yeah. never forgive myself if I gave you COVID." And I'm like, I, "Well, I mean, you know, it's yeah. just uh, it's a it's a weird time. It's a weird for time. Sure. To it is
2: for sure. At least they're looking out for you. That's what friends yeah. do. Even though I'm, I'm sure you're dying to see them.
0: Yeah, yeah, one friend slipped a hug on me from the back end. <laughs> 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 like, Put my mask on. I'm gonna hug you. Everybody needs human touch. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. So. Yeah.
1: I'm well, not going to lie, though. If you have a couple of drinks, you forget about that whole, um, you're not supposed to go near people thing. That
0: it's just, easy to do.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: If I get COVID from drinking mimosas by the pool with my friends, I'm here. Yes. Oh, yeah, you let down your guard. Okay, so I want to end with tell, and I'll have this all in the show notes. So, Bolus Maximus needs what time and what day?
1: Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard. 6 p.m. Eastern Standard, 11 p.m. UK.
0: <laughs>
1: Got to throw it in there for friends across the pond. And so we are currently working on recording a few more podcasts right. for the first season of our talks, and we'll be developing some video content to go along with what we're working on. So we have a lot of things in the works. Brandon and I have literally had hours. We've had days worth of conversations, probably weeks worth of conversations about what we want to do and how we want to do it. So it's just really a matter of time. Yeah. So bolus maximus on uh, Instagram and Facebook and YouTube.
0: It took Ryan and I months. I mean, like almost, I would say nine months before we really felt comfortable launching the Diabetes Daily Grind blog. That was, you know, almost seven years ago.
1: Yeah, we were just talking about a website and I've, I've already got, I host and have built And hosted two of my own websites and through a hosting service. But that's something that I feel like is pretty easy for me now. I'm like, all right, let's put something together. That way we we can drop people somewhere. And the next time we talk, we'll drop that address (laughs) first. Uh, That's where we'll want to send people. That way, if you know somebody, if you just want to say these words to people so that they can associate, just putting effort into taking care of
2: yourself. Disconnecting. Disconnecting. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. You, you have to, you know, we live in this world that's so big. And it's like, oh, how can I ever do that? How would I ever meet somebody? Just got to take the shot and see what's out there. You know, it, it's 2020. It's out there. Like, if you can think about it, <laughs> it's out there. Somebody living in the next town or maybe even the next building that has diabetes, that plays sports, that uh, that's an engineer, that's a lawyer, that's a doctor. That may potentially be the next pilot flying the airplane. Yeah, like, it's there. You just got to reach out. You know, it's there.
0: Well, you guys should pop into Happy Hour one time. We were making jokes. There was like eight women. We're like, where are the dudes? Where are the? people? <laughs> oh, we can <laughs>
1: We will accept that invitation. Yeah, we will for sure join the Happy Hour. We appreciate that, neighbor.
0: Thank you. <laughs> so I will send you an email and remind you like okay. every Thursday at five p.m. six fifteen because I'm like and central standard time because okay. um, I was trying to like if I go to happy hour it's gonna be like four or five and I'm home by six or whatever and start <laughs> <laughs> 2 p.m let's go it <laughs> yeah, all right. I mean it, like I always say it's not about alcohol it's more about connecting and I have you know last one where there was somebody from Scotland, Australia, Canada, wow. New York, LA and Australia were like it's 7 a.m there and like girl pour yourself a mimosa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've been really lucky to hear from guys from the UK and a couple of people from, one person from Ireland and South South, Africa. South a girl from South Africa called, but like, it is tough pulling guys out of the caves emotionally really? and, and physically and, and mentally to say, hey, come talk to us. So we're super thankful for the individuals who have come, men and women and the caregivers. We've had some caregivers that don't, that don't have diabetes come in and talk to us. Yeah.
2: But the, kid their kids and their
1: kids do yep. so like they just want to talk to grown adults who have diabetes and hear like real stuff so
0: well hopefully once this podcast comes out we'll uh if there are guys listening I don't even know <laughs> I think it <laughs> doesn't matter we'll help them hopefully feel more comfortable to reach out to you guys
1: for so. sure please for sure or we'll find you
0: <laughs> we are
1: looking trust me find us first or don't make me hunt you down <laughs> so <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time to chat this evening. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, I hope to see you in a happy hour one day soon. And uh, let me know what I can do to help spread the word because I really believe in what you're doing. And we need more people like you that are genuine and driven to help all people living with diabetes and their their caregivers.
1: Thank you, Amber. That was very nice of you to say. Thank you. We appreciate your ongoing and continued support.
0: It is always refreshing to chat with Matt and Brandon because we speak the same language and there's never a lull in our conversation, as you can hear from us rambling. (laughs) They are motivated, unapologetically honest, and hopefully encourage more men living with diabetes to start talking. Keep up the good work, guys. And I look forward to staying in touch because I know you're going to do great things. You're doing great things. Before I wrap up, I have a few last-minute reminders. Number one... Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour takes place every Thursday from 5 to 6.15 p.m. Central Standard Time, and be sure to register via Facebook private group or by clicking the Happy Hour logo on my website. Number two, we are always looking for partners, sponsors, etc., who share my mission to provide support and resources for all people living with diabetes and their families. Penelope would love to chat, so hit her up at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. And finally, please stay engaged on social media. If you want to contact me directly, I can always be reached at Amber at and getting a message from you or an iTunes review makes my heart happy and keeps the episodes coming. All right, enough rambling, that's a wrap. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. A little thing
1: diabetes,